This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene on Friday testified at a hearing to determine whether she should be allowed to run for re-election given her role in supporting the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol. Under the Constitution's 14th Amendment, Section 3, quote, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same. My guest is Ron Fine, legal director of Free Speech for People and a constitutional lawyer who previously served as assistant regional counsel in the U.S. EPA. He's co-author with John Bonifaz and Ben Clements of The Constitution Demands It, the case for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Welcome back to the program, Ron. It's a pleasure to rejoin you. So first, uh, tell me the role that your organization, Free Speech for People, has played in this hearing of Marjorie Taylor Greene. Free Speech for People is a national nonpartisan nonprofit organization. And starting in 2021, uh, we realized that Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which is also known as the Insurrectionist Disqualification Clause, would apply to many high elected officials who had been involved in January 6th. And so we put together a legal team, uh, both including our own staff lawyers and also outside counsel to file challenges against uh, Madison Cawthorn uh, running for election in North Carolina, Marjorie Taylor Greene in Georgia, and uh, several candidates in Arizona, all based on the, the same fact, which is that the disqualification clause of the Constitution says that anyone who took an oath of office to support the Constitution, but then broke that oath and engaged in insurrection is disqualified from public office. So what happened at the hearing on Friday? Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is very sort of proudly part of the Stop the Steal movement, uh, you know, certainly seems to have on the surface of it supported the insurrection. When asked about it, what did she say? How did she sidestep the questions? Last Friday, uh, Representative Green took an approach of strategically not remembering anything that could be harmful to her. Uh, in many, many instances, her answers were evasive, uh, half denials, uh, I don't recall, I, I don't remember. Uh, in many cases, she would uh, deny something and then be shown a, a video or other evidence that she had in fact said it, and, and then she would come up with some explanation for why she hadn't really said it. And uh, one of the most striking uh, examples of that uh, came out after the hearing. She had said very clearly at the hearing last Friday that she didn't remember ever having asked President Trump or the White House Chief of Staff to declare martial law. And then on the Monday after the hearing, uh, it emerged that she had done exactly that. Right. So let's talk about how uh, there is this huge trove of um of texts that CNN has unearthed that shows correspondence between Mark Meadows, then chief of staff, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and that small universe of people that was hellbent on keeping Trump in office. What did those texts show? Well, there's a, a lot of them, and I won't claim to have read all of them by any means. Uh, but what they show is that these efforts over the course of several months uh, began with 
maybe uh, efforts that could be categorized as bad faith, but at least lawful uh, approaches to uh, overturning the election. Although some people even before the election were already planning uh, to challenge and, and overturn it. Uh, but certainly by the time we got into late December and early January, um, many of these uh, figures and officials who were either uh, officially part of Trump world or or had close contacts were openly advocating for uh, the election to be essentially stolen uh, via you know uh, sneaky congressional maneuvers and involving uh, Mike Pence and and dubious uh, uh, theories about how he could unilaterally reject votes. We, we had heard some of this already, but to see the actual text messages uh, and to see things that people have denied, just like Marjorie Taylor Greene denying that she called for uh, martial law, to see it right there uh, in the in the in the words of the, the people who sent these messages is pretty striking. So would these texts have made a difference during last Friday's hearings? The text came out on uh, the text messages, you know, were part of the CNN expose on Monday. The hearing took place a few days earlier. Would it have made a difference? Well, we certainly would have uh, put them up um, after she said she didn't remember calling for martial law, uh, just as we did for many, many other occasions where she couldn't remember having made a statement. And then uh, we were able to refresh her memory by showing her her own past videos or tweets. We definitely would have put that up and asked her uh, once again whether uh, those were her words in her own text messages. Uh, and now that uh, the hearing is, is passed, of course, we're uh, still uh, uh, considering um, the best way in which to use it. How historic was that hearing? Has the 14th Amendment, Section 3 of it, um, been used in this way, or at least invoked in this way before? And what's the next step for Green after Friday's hearing? The disqualification clause of the 14th Amendment had not been used in a very long time. The, the last time there were court cases uh, considering whether somebody was disqualified was uh, 150 years ago. So our getting Representative Green on the stand was not only the first time that any member of Congress involved in January 6th has been forced to answer questions under oath, but the, the first time in since the uh, you know mid to late 19th century that anyone at all has been put on this type of, of hearing and in terms of the next steps uh, there's a series of uh, legal briefs that will be filed before the judge and he has said that he aims to issue his written decision in early may so this could work. It could prevent Green uh, from running for re-election later this year in the midterms. Um, and, and potentially, if it, get, if it sets a precedent, that could apply to Madison Cawthorn and others? Absolutely. We wouldn't have brought this if we didn't think that it, it could work. And, and it, it ought to work. If the judge fairly and impartially applies the facts and the law, then he will find that Marjorie Taylor Greene engaged in insurrection. The most important thing is that we're reaffirming the importance and uh, centrality of the United States Constitution and its essential provision that after the Civil War, uh, we as a nation decided was essential to protect our constitutional democracy by saying that anyone who broke their oath to support the Constitution and then engaged in insurrection is forever disqualified from public office. 
Could this apply to Trump? The 13th, I mean, 14th Amendment, Section 3 includes vice president or president. Absolutely. So if Donald Trump chooses to run for election again in 2024, we will file multiple candidacy challenges just like this in multiple states. We've already written to chief elections officials uh, of, of all 50 states plus the District of Columbia, warning them that this is coming and to prepare for it. And if he runs again, we will file those challenges. And so what's also now uh, going to happen with the other members of Congress? When do we expect to see Madison Cawthorn? And are these hearings state hearings, um, you know, these federal hearings? How, how does it work You know, if, if, if Cawthorn is in a friendly state versus green? Um, would there be a difference? The process is a little different in every state because every state has its own election laws and its own ways of filing candidacy challenges. But these have all been filed using state law processes. We haven't filed any claims in federal court. What has happened is that, for example, Madison Cawthorn ran to federal court to try and block the North Carolina state proceeding from moving forward. Mm -hmm. And we did experience a temporary setback when a judge uh, granted his request, which we now have on a fast-tracked appeal to a federal court of appeals. But all of the challenges that we're bringing are in the state courts or state administrative processes themselves. And so it matters who the judges are. It always matters who the judges are. I think in the case of uh, Madison Cawthorn, while I don't always like to attribute a judge's decision to uh, politics of the president that appointed them, but the, the judge who granted the injunction uh, to stop the North Carolina state proceedings that we filed uh, had been appointed by President Trump. Uh, he based his decision on a bizarre theory that an 1872 congressional amnesty for ex-Confederates actually applied to Madison Cawthorn. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene tried the same argument with a different federal judge, and uh, and it did not work at all for her. So that's why we're very confident that that ruling in the Cawthorn case will be overturned on appeal. Who else could this apply to in light of the text, the, the trove of thousands of texts that CNN acquired and has made public? There are implications that, uh, you know, the, many members of the House GOP were in on, on, on this, you know, looking for any possible way to overturn the election. Yeah, so we, we will still need to review uh, these texts to see if they you know, change um, the, the pool, you might say, of, of who uh, crossed the line there. Uh, and to be clear, it's, it requires more than just somebody who objected to certification of electoral votes. Uh, although the objections that were uh, made to the electoral votes of Arizona and, and Pennsylvania were completely baseless and, and made in bad faith, members of Congress are allowed to cast those types of votes for or, or raise those objections. But there are those who crossed a different line and actually helped promote and facilitate the actual insurrection, uh, which goes far beyond anything that's part of their legislative duties. And we will be taking a look to see if there's any others uh, whom we should be challenging. Right. It's OK to legally uh, explore to explore legal avenues, if you will, of questioning vote counts, etc. But as soon as it veers into illegal activity, such as calling for martial law, 
that's when it gets into the territory of whatever rebellion, insurrection, etc. To use a great example, Marjorie Taylor Greene told her followers, many of whom, of course, are violent extremists, that they could not allow a peaceful transfer of power. Wow. And that's a video that we played at the hearing on, on Friday, and, and she you know, attempted to weave and, and dodge around it. But those are her words. So if this were to succeed, um, let me sort of play Democratic Party style devil's advocate. If we were to uh, have, you know, uh, uh, crack down hard on and apply the law against what ends up in this particular case being Republicans, it could come back to hurt us and Republicans would use it against Democrats in the future, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you hear these, you heard these same sorts of arguments against the impeachment of Donald Trump. I know you and I talked a lot about that. Are there any of those arguments being made this time around or are Democrats sort of stepping back and watching things play out? Because you really can't have this apply to you unless you really illegally, you know, uh, called for illegal overthrow of the government. Well, I want to say two things. First, we at Free Speech for People are a nonpartisan organization, yes, yes. so we don't make our decisions based on which party it, it helps or, or doesn't help uh, or, or hurts or doesn't hurt. But uh, the second point is that, you know, if any Democrats called for people to flood the Capitol to prevent uh, electoral votes from being cast, uh, leading to a violent assault on the U.S. Capitol and threats to, you know, kill the vice president and the, the speaker of the House and members of Congress having to shelter. Uh, and if any Democratic politicians were involved in that, then I think Section 3 of the 14th Amendment would apply to them, too. So what's next now, Iran, for free speech for people? Uh, you mentioned earlier that uh, there will be future determinations in Green's case as per the judge, Madison Cawthorn's uh, hearing could be coming up soon. If people want to find out more and follow the work that free speech for people are doing, you know, where can they, where can they follow it, uh, website or social media? Yeah, so on the web, we are freespeechforpeople.org, and you can learn about our work, which goes far beyond this. We, we were founded in 2010 uh, on the day of the Supreme Court's Citizens United decision, which unleashed uh, corporate political spending and, and led to the creation of super PACs. And since then, we've been fighting for our constitutional democracy on, on a number of fronts, uh, both legally and in the, the grassroots. And people can also find us on social media, for example, on Twitter, uh, FSFP, and uh, they can learn about all the work we're doing in voting rights, fighting against voter intimidation, uh, again, both uh, in the courts and through grassroots action. And we'll post a link to your website from our site. Thank you so much, Ron, as always, for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. My guest is Ron Fine, legal director of Free Speech for People and a constitutional lawyer. He is also the co-author with John Bonifaz and Ben Clements of The Constitution Demands at the Case for the Impeachment of Donald Trump. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RU with Sonali.